0: You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit hbcyr.ca. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can take your seats. While you're doing that, get your Bibles out and open them up to Luke chapter 10. Uh, Luke chapter 10. We're going to talk about compassion today. Um, We see that uh, demonstrated all over our world. There are um, devastating things that happen in other parts of the world. And you hear about uh, supplies being sent in and needs being met. And um, the power goes out in a big building downtown. And people need a place to stay. And some people open their homes. And all kinds of things. There's compassion that's demonstrated all over in our world. And that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. I was out uh, for a walk on Friday. And I walked past the Catholic school. the corner from our house. And uh, this was their sign um, this week. And uh, the virtue of the month was compassion. And uh, so it's a very popular topic. It's a very popular thing. It's also a very needed thing. And uh, we live in a world that's uh, filled with uh, people that are homeless or hungry or helpless or sick or devastated in a disaster. There are needs all around us. And so the question is, how do we respond to that as followers of Christ? What's the proper way for us to demonstrate and show compassion? Luke 12, 48 says, Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they have entrusted much, they will demand the more. Compassion and compassion ministries um, for us as followers of Jesus Christ are not cause-driven. Our heart for compassion is not about a cause. Our heart about compassion needs to be Christ-driven. It needs to be on that foundation that we do what we do in meeting needs of people all around us. Um, But for the Christian, for the follower of Jesus Christ, it always has to have, as a foundation point to it, the gospel, the good news, sharing, sharing, the work of Jesus Christ, the good news that we have in him, whether that's inside or outside of the church. And so, so what does compassion for us look like? That's what we want to explore today. We're going to dive into it out of Luke 10. So let's stand together. We want to honor God as we read his word. Starting at verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What's written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion, and he went to him, and he bound up his wounds, and he poured oil and wine, and then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. Which one of these do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Father, we thank you for your word today. We uh, thank you for the opportunity to not only hold it in our hands, but to uh, read it, and now, Lord, to um, search it and see what you have for us today. So, Lord, would you give us ears to carefully listen to what your word is saying to us? Would you give us minds to comprehend the truth that Jesus Christ was teaching this lawyer? And then would you give us the faith to passionately live out for the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ, the things that we learn? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can take your seats. Well, we're in the middle of our Vertically Challenged series, and a Vertically Challenged is not just for the corporate church. It is for the corporate church, but um, Vertically Challenged, looking up, how does that relate in our lives as individuals as well? And the first message that we looked at was that we would be a people of God who are, who are vertically challenged to live on purpose The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Whether you eat or drink, the Bible says, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And so how do we every day a little bit more get our eyes off of the focus of all the stuff that we find ourselves interested in and get our eyes focused on God and on his glory? Each person in the room. If you're a follower of Christ, that's what we're called to, to be people about the glory of God. As a church, our statement is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the great commission in the spirit of the great commandment. And so the purpose of the church is not kids programs, it's not youth programs, it's not small groups, it's not, it's the glory of God. And we do those things out of that purpose. That was the first message. And then we talked about how we do this on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Our foundation is Christ. Everything we do here comes out of what Christ has accomplished for us in the gospel. And when you get that foundation right and you get your eyes fixed in the right direction, then things start to happen in your life. And we looked last week at the topic of obedience. Not obedience so you get something off your checklist, but obedience because of who God is and what he's done for us. Then I want to surrender. I want to give everything I can and do for him and for his glory. And uh, we were challenged in some areas of obedience in our lives. And I just believe when you're looking up, when your focus is on the Lord, then you're starting to figure out, okay, now how do I respond in this? And that's really one of the things that our message is about today. We respond in compassion. We respond in compassion, and so that's where we'll focus today, and uh, we'll see where God takes us through this, but I want us to look at it under four, what I call amazing lessons in four snapshots. Here's the first snapshot, the snapshot of the context. This uh, lawyer comes to Jesus, and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? We're going to take this passage today, and we're going to make a focus towards compassion. Um, and, and um, this, this message, this teaching of Jesus Christ is so chuck-filled, you could, you could take it and go like four or five different directions, and we never want to forget the base question that was asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That was the question of the lawyer, and it's the greatest question that we could ever ask, it's the greatest question we can ever find the answer to, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, he was thinking of it, maybe in a little different context that we have, but a successful life, a life that pleases God, a life that takes me to the right end, a life that gets me to the right spot at the end. What what must I do to inherit eternal life? Verses 25 to 29, the lawyer stood, um, stood up and put him to the test. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? You know, so often the religious leaders of that day, when they were trying to um, come to Jesus, they were trying to trick him into something. They were trying to, they wanted to get rid of him. Um, this word doesn't necessarily mean that. I think we read it and we automatically think of like, this guy was like a Pharisee. This guy was like a, maybe, might have been, his motive might have been, how do I really trick Jesus? Um, But that's not what the word necessarily means in the Greek or the Hebrew. It didn't necessarily mean evil that he wanted on him. He wanted to know an answer to a question. He wanted to test Jesus on this. He wanted to find out what this one is teaching. How does that match up to what I think I know? And so he asks this question of Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to him, what's written in the law? What's written in the law? You wonder whether Jesus was being a little bit sarcastic with him. The guy's a lawyer after all and who would have known the law. and What's written in the law? But here's another interesting thing. Jesus answers his question with a question. If you study the New Testament, you see Jesus do this all over the place, right? So often people come and they ask me a question. I just want to give them the answer instead of sending them back to go and find the answer. And, uh, and Jesus does this right here. It's a great way to teach, and he does it. He says, now what's written in the law? What's written in the law? And he says to Jesus, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus basically says, you got the answer right. The law says, this is what you need to do. You need to love me completely, 100%, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now we know if we're honest with ourselves, all of us get a big hashtag fail on that. None of us has ever done that. None of us can love God like that. Love the Lord your God with all of your being. Hey, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you put your trust in Christ, you've been redeemed, you've, you are saved. Did you do that last week? Did you love the Lord your God with all, with all, with all, with all, with all? No, you didn't. No, I didn't. There were times I was selfish. There was times I wanted what I wanted. There were times that, but this lawyer who's trying to keep the law, he's doing the best that he can, I think he's got, he thinks, I've kind of got this part figured out. I'm okay on that part. Now, that was interesting, because love the Lord your God with all your all, your all, your all, or more internal things, and he could probably self-justify those things. And, but then he says, um, and love your neighbor as yourself. I think he figured he had the first part kind of down. He didn't do it as perfectly as he could, but he was going to be okay. He was going to stand before God, and based on his works and based on what he accomplished, he was going to be okay before the Lord. And then, desiring to justify himself for maybe the part of the answer that he gave that he wasn't doing so well in, he goes, But who's my neighbor? I'm doing okay with this stuff, but who's my neighbor? Because he also knew that he was to love his neighbor and hate his enemy. So who is my neighbor? And if we can narrow the box down small enough, then I'll be okay in that one too. I think he kind of failed in three things. First, perhaps his greatest mistake was in assuming that he fulfilled the first commandment. There's none righteous, no, not one. What does the law say? The law says to do this. But he he didn't succeed in that. He hadn't accomplished that. He had even failed in that. And that's why Jesus Christ had to come. The law was set up so we could see our failure, understand our failure, and come to the place of understanding the need of a Savior and how Jesus Christ accomplished that for us on the cross when he came and became the sufficient, all-sufficient sacrifice because he's the only one who ever accomplished what was written in that verse. So maybe he had failed in that. He thought he would kind of had that first part done and Jesus Christ came so that we could have life and we could have it abundantly because none of us in the room has ever done any of that perfectly but Christ accomplished what we, the law, could not accomplish. And then he paid for us, he sacrificed for us, he was the atonement for us and then he offered to us the free gift of eternal life. And by faith alone in Christ alone, we receive that gift and we're saved. Um, I think the first mistake was he thought he'd kind of had that part down. His second mistake was thinking that he could fulfill the commandment of the love, to love God with all he had and still possibly not fulfill the command to love his neighbor. So he would kind of separated those things apart. Love the Lord your God, love the Lord your God, love the Lord your God, and, and keep it separated from this other thing over here. The third mistake was in the way he wanted to narrowly define neighbor. Who is my neighbor? And we're going to find out from what Jesus teaches him that Jesus knew exactly what he was trying to accomplish and what he was trying to do. See, it's easy to love our neighbors when our neighbors are lovable. It's not so easy when our neighbor is more like our enemy. We struggle with the same thing the lawyer struggled with. Yeah, I'll love that person. i love that neighbor because like, they, they're okay. They don't bug me. They leave me alone. They, but I, that, not that neighbor. They've said things about me. They've done things to me. They're, they're my enemy. How are you doing at loving your neighbor? How are you doing at loving the person that's unlovable in your life? Jesus is about to blow the doors, as it were, off of his belief system um, as he answers the question about who's my neighbor. That's snapshot number two. We want to take a look at the narrative here of the Good Samaritan, and uh, so we want to dissect it kind of verse by verse, go through it. Now look at verse 30. And Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Jerusalem was on the top of a hill on the top of a mountain basically when you left Jerusalem no matter what way you went you went down but the story that Jesus tells he tells about going from Jerusalem down to Jericho um, it's about 20 miles, 32 kilometers. You start out at Jerusalem about 2,300 feet, 2,500 feet above sea level. You end up about 800 feet below sea level when you get down to Jericho. It's quite a drop. We, we did it the other way in a bus, and just there's a groaning of that engine going up that hill as you're going up to Jerusalem. Right, And uh, so in this picture, you have this man who's walking down this road, uh, downhill, going to Jericho. Um, lots of nooks and crannies in it. In that day, it was a place that um, uh, crime was prevalent. Robbery happened all over the place. Um, the uh, nickname for the road was the Way of Blood. And so as Jesus tells this story, this all makes sense uh, to this lawyer as he's hearing the story. Verse 31 says, now by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So there's this religious leader, this priest, who's going down the road, and he sees this guy in the ditch, and he looks over at him, sees him, and he passes by on the other side. And then a Levite, the Levites were the one who served the priest, a Levite comes by, and um, he sees him, he too passes by on the other side. neither of them do anything. Um, The word says uh, in the verse it says, it just, um," excuse me, it says, by chance a priest came down that road. Literally that means it just so happened. It just so happened. A priest went down that road all the time. So this isn't necessarily a true story that Jesus is telling. He's telling a story to teach a lesson. So it might have been news. It might have been something that happened. But it's a story. He wants to to help this lawyer understand who your neighbor is. And the priest certainly wasn't a neighbor. And the Levite certainly was not a neighbor. They went by. They did nothing. Thinking about the excuses that they might have had as to why they didn't stop, why they didn't help. Maybe they didn't stop and help because the road's too dangerous. The road was dangerous. And maybe they thought, I'm not stopping to help. This road's too dangerous. Or maybe this guy's just a decoy. He's not really hurt. And if I stop and help, there's going to be an ambush. And I'm going to be the one who gets robbed. And maybe he was on the, his wife told him, you be home by five o'clock plan. And if I get home late, I'm going to be in trouble. I'm going to go home and see my family. I don't have time. Maybe he walked by. And as they're walking by, piously, the priest or the Levite is thinking, You know, somebody really should help that guy. The priest thought, maybe if I stop, I'll become unclean. Or my first aid certificate's not up to standard, so I can't stop and help him. Or this is a hopeless case. Or I'm only one person, the job is too big. I'll pray for him. Have you ever walked by somebody who's in need and thought that? Oh, I know what I'll do. I'll pray for them. How about this? That guy never should have been walking down the road by himself in the first place. He got himself into this mess. It's not for me to get him out of this mess. Or he never asked me for help. See, there are lots of reasons why the priest and the Levite might not have helped. Just like we have lots of reasons why we might not help those who truly are in need and need compassion demonstrated to them. I I love what Spurgeon said. He said, but all of these are simply excuses. I never knew a man refused to help the poor who failed to give at least one admirable excuse. Verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. All three of these men saw exactly the same thing, but their response and their reaction was vastly different. The Samaritan had a different heart, and he had a different response now, you have to imagine what's going on in the lawyer's mind. I'm thinking the lawyer, if he knew Jesus, he's thinking Jesus is going to come back and this is going to be a story about how the religious leaders of the day are failing and all the rest of it. And that's not where Jesus goes at all with this. He says, and a Samaritan, as soon as he said that, the lawyers, his ears would have perked up. He would have been like, that's the enemy. That's the enemy. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, he came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion had compassion. And Jesus shocked him. Jews and Samaritans despised each other both racially and religiously. Interesting as, um, as this story is told, the lawyer would have figured out, oh, this is the enemy, this is the enemy who's doing this." And interesting, the Samaritan would have had to get over his stuff because the person he was helping was his enemy too. The rift between the Jews and the non-Jews, as taught by some of the rabbis, was so great. This is an illustration of a Gentile woman, but they hated the Gentiles and the Samaritans. If a Gentile woman who was in distress giving birth, don't help her. Don't help her. Because if a Gentile is born and would come into the world, then that's not what we want. And they thought the Samaritans were about as bad and so Jesus is now telling the story. The priest has sauntered by and done nothing. The Levite has sauntered by and done nothing. And the Samaritan, the enemy, comes by, and he had compassion. You know, the Bible teaches us some things about compassion. I'm going to give you some verses you can consider afterwards. In James 1:27, it says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit the orphans and the widows in their affliction and to keep oneself sustained Unstained from the world. The Bible and the word for compassion in both the Greek and the Hebrew is to have mercy, uh, to feel sympathy, to have mercy on someone. Um, Psalm 86 15, but you, O Lord, are a God who is passionate or merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Lamentation 3, 22 and 23, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His compassions or his mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. 1 John 3, 17, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and yet closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? 1 John 4, 20, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. The Samaritan walks by and he has compassion. He has compassion. Jesus demonstrated compassion in his ministry uh, many times. Um, He obviously in this story, he's teaching about it, but remember when uh, Lazarus dies and he comes and he sees and people are weeping and he he has compassion. He has compassion. Um, Jesus healed um, in in large groups of people. Why? Because he had compassion. Jesus healed one-on-one. Why? Because he had had compassion for them. Um, Jesus was moved by the suffering of people and he had compassion. So I think the question for us today is compassion on who? Compassion for us, what does that look like in our society today? Because I think societal norms say, basically, take a look at the trajectory of our land. It's like everybody, we need to be taking care of everybody. If there's a need out there, we just need to be taking care of it. Um, In a general sense, we all need compassion. Compassion. Right? We all want compassion demonstrated to us in some ways. I need compassion from my wife sometimes. She needs compassion from me. There's a general sense where everybody needs compassion. That's not what we're talking about. I think you can see and understand the difference even in this text. Um, there are times when we don't need to show compassion. We don't need to show compassion when people are lazy. You don't have to show compassion to people who are lazy. The Bible teaches us if you don't work, you don't eat. So we don't have to show compassion there. So I think we want to be careful where we put our energy and where we demonstrate our compassion. If people are lazy, being compassionate to them is not really being compassionate. It's not even really being loving because it's not truthful for them. Um, We don't need to show compassion to people who are lazy. We need to love them. We need to correct them if necessary. We need to help them. But we don't have to show compassion. We don't have to show compassion to those who don't care. I just don't care. I'm not going to do anything. I just don't care. We don't have to show compassion to them. We don't have to show compassion to those who should be out working. If you can work, you need to work. And we tell people in our church, if you've lost your job, your full-time job is to get a job. That's your full-time job. In the midst of a transition, would we help somebody? Of course we would because there's a need. But if you can work, you need to work. We don't have to show compassion there. We don't need to show compassion for those who can care for themselves or their family can care for them. And so even in our church, when there's a need for benevolence, often we'll ask the question, so what are you doing? What's your family doing? And then when we get beyond that, then what can we do? How can we help? How can we demonstrate? So there are times when compassion, don't don't confuse your emotional attachment to something, to true compassion. But there are lots of reasons and times when people do need compassion. People need compassion when they're physically ill um, or when they have a mental illness and they need compassion that they can't take care of themselves they're in a place where they need help, then we need to show compassion to them. We need to show compassion to people who can't work. And and there's no, with all the social programs and everything, there comes a place where maybe that's all run its course or whatever. Then, yeah, absolutely we need to show compassion. We need to show compassion when people are in circumstances that are beyond their control. Um... You know, the reality of that building downtown where the, uh, there was a fire and then the wiring was all right. Everybody had to move out of the building. And, and so, like, if you got a family you can stay with, you have friends you can stay with, those are the places you start with all those things. And those are people stepping up and doing their part for family and friends. And, and then government steps in and does what they can do. They're showing compassion because they need to be taken care of. And so we need to show compassion when the circumstances are beyond their control We need to show compassion to people who are needy that come from another place. Hebrews 13.2 says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. We need to show compassion to widows and to orphans. The Bible tells us that clearly we need to do that. And we need to show compassion starting at the household of faith. As the church, we need to take care of people in the church who have a need And so compassion is needed and it's important and we need to do it. But don't confuse emotion with compassion. And there are times when no is the right answer. But there are many times when yes is the answer. And what are we doing to be a part of the yes? What are we doing to be a part of the solution? And so I took some time this week. I thought a little bit about what we're doing in our church to uh, be a part of compassion and compassion ministries. And I'm going to give you a list of things that we do. It's not for you to go, oh, okay, I guess we're doing okay. No, we're not doing okay. There's more that we can do. But I want to start by saying what I'm going to talk about has nothing to do with what many of you are doing on an individual basis with people. Somebody you come alongside to help, a need that you're meeting. Maybe you sponsor a kid somewhere. I don't know what you do, but all kinds of those things happen over and above this. And praise the Lord for those things and keep doing those things and do those things for the glory of God. Seeing the need and showing compassion. In our church, we, um, we do what we call benevolence. Thousands and thousands of dollars every year is spent for people who have a need. Have a need, not the no side of this, but the yes side of this in circumstances beyond their control or in a health situation or in a, we want to be a part of the solution in that. Uh, We have a ministry in our church that's called Harvest Works where there's someone who has a need, especially in a facility, in their house or whatever and we have people who go in and and help to meet that need. Why? Because we care, because we're compassionate for them. We're doing a food drive right now to support 105 Gibson Street. I'm I'm very thankful for that ministry. Up until uh, last year, we were uh, taking the things we did in a food drive, and we just sent it to the Markham Food Bank, which was fine. Uh, People need to be fed. It's better than not doing anything. But I believe as followers of Jesus Christ, our compassion should always, always, as best we can, be attached to the gospel. The greatest need of somebody who needs a meal is not dinner. That might be the immediate need, but the greatest need is the gospel. And so as followers of Jesus Christ, what we do in our compassion as best we can, as often as possible, is attached to meeting the greatest need that people have. Why? Because we have compassion for them in their need for the gospel of Jesus Christ as well. But I'm thankful we're doing a food drive, and my purpose of putting this message on this week was not to put you into a, a guilt thing. I guess we've got to empty the cupboards and bring them in. You should just do that anyways. Um. We support the Pregnancy Crisis Center. We do a diaper drive and all the supplies they need in the spring um, this year. We'll be doing that again next year as part of Compassion. Operation Christmas Child, there's going to be shoeboxes out in the foyer next week. And how can we support and show compassion in the name of Jesus around the world? A number of years ago, there was a major earthquake in Haiti and the thousands and thousands of people were killed and and we got connected to a ministry uh, that was called Churches Helping Churches so that we could help to rebuild the church of Jesus Christ in Haiti. Why? Because it's compassion. Uh, we support orphanages in Haiti. Two years ago, we sent a mission team to Haiti to uh, do day camps and stuff in our in a, in a, in a, a church that we support there. We also sent a medical team to go and be a part of that. Why? Because we believe in compassion. There's some people in our church who gather together about once a month on Sunday afternoon and they come back here into our survey area and they make um, sandwiches up and they take them on on a sandwich run downtown and give that out in the name of Jesus Christ to people who are in need. See, there are lots of opportunities. There are lots of things we're doing. We can do more, but we are doing. And God help us that we would have the heart of the good Samaritan See, there's a cost to compassion. It says in verses 34 and 35, to get back to the text, he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. He set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I'll repay you when I come, when I come back. There's a cost. There's a cost to having the kind of compassion That Jesus would have had. Um, There's a willingness to cross social barriers. This man was going to have compassion on the one who was his enemy. He was going to cross the social barrier. Because it was the right thing for him to do. Cross the social barriers. It takes risks. The priests and the Levite they're walking by. They're not stopping to help. Because maybe they thought they were going to get beat up. Or somebody would see them and criticize them. Was willing to take risks. A willingness to set aside his busy schedule. He had places to be, he had things to do, and yet he set those things aside so that he could show compassion. He was willing willing to make a sacrifice, and he wasn't doing it looking for reward. You know, what kind of sacrifice did he make? Well, he went and he stayed with this guy and took care of him and he put wine on, on the wound. That was an antiseptic, and oil to help soothe the wound and ease the pain. And, and then it says he set him on his own animal. So he's riding along and whatever he was riding along on and he sees this guy in the ditch and he helps him up and he now puts him on the enemy. He puts the enemy on the animal. He's now walking, leading whatever it was, a horse, a colt, whatever, and, and he's walking so that this person can have his seat. And he tells the innkeeper, um, you take care of him. I'll, I'll pay you whatever the extra cost is when I come back. Says he left him two denarii. Two denarii. A denarii, one denarii, was basically one day's wages. So if you make $20 an hour and you work for eight hours in the day, 160 times two, $320. He goes, "Um, here's $320. You take care of them. When I come back, if If you make $40 an hour, 40 times eight, 320 times two, $640. It cost him. He sacrificed two days. Why? Because he had compassion. Because he had compassion. A can of beans is not really compassion. It's something we can do. It doesn't really cost us much. It's not real emphasis on our life. It doesn't really affect us. And it costs this guy two days' wages. But it's the kind of heart he had. It's what he was looking to do. That's what his willingness to show compassion looked like. I think there are some comparisons between the Samaritan and, and Jesus Christ. I don't think Jesus is trying to draw a picture in the story of him being the good Samaritan. Um. I don't think that's really the purpose of the story. Some people do. I just don't. I I just think that there are some good parallels, though, between Jesus Christ and his heart for us and this uh, Samaritan, the good Samaritan. Um, Jesus Christ was an outsider. He was despised and he was rejected as the Samaritan was. The Samaritan um, um, came after others had failed to meet the need. Our need was met in Jesus Christ. It couldn't be met any other way. The Samaritan came before it was too late, The Samaritan came with everything that was necessary. The Samaritan um, came right to the afflicted man. The Samaritan gave him tender care. The Samaritan met future needs. That would be there. Like There's a lot of parallels for for us to consider how the Samaritan looks a lot like Jesus Christ in our lives. Here, how about this? How about those things about the Samaritan? How do they look in your life? How do they look in, in your life? What does God call us to? So the second snapshot is really the story. The third snapshot is the implications. It's the implications because Jesus is taking this story and he's taking it somewhere. And and this is where he does that. He moves right back to asking a question. Again, the genius of the story. Verses 36 and 37. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer says, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. See, the priest and the Levite went by and saw the beaten and robbed man and he didn't act like neighbors. Uh, The Samaritan goes by and he acts truly like a neighbor. Um, The answer to the question that the lawyer gives is the one who showed him mercy. I find it interesting that Jesus is really clear. A priest went by, a Levite went by, a Samaritan went by who showed him mercy. At this point in the, in the lawyer's life, he can't even bring himself to say, well, obviously the Samaritan did. He just said, well, you know that guy, that guy who showed him mercy, that guy who showed him mercy. Um, J. Campbell Morgan said, um, we are arrested by the fact that he completely shifted the ground of the question by this reply, said in effect, that the question isn't who is a neighbor, It was not so important as the question is to whom he was a neighbor. The lawyer knew that he no longer could justify himself. He knew that how do I get eternal life? He's fallen so short of it. And um, the one who showed mercy. Well, lawyer, you go and do that. But to my enemy, you go and do that. How about us? No, but that guy, like there's no way he doesn't deserve it. Well, do you know that? Do you really know that? Because there are times the answer is no, and that's fine. If the Lord's made that clear to you, then that's fine. But there are lots of times the answer is yes. And I would argue if you don't know, go with yes, just be on the safe side of things. But I could get taken for 20 bucks or 50 bucks or who cares? Just do the right thing and let the Lord work those things out. You go. And treat your neighbor the way he should. Don't keep trying to justify your reasons and your thinking. And and God help me in that too. Here's snapshot number four. That's the application. You go and do likewise. You go and do likewise. And Jesus allowed the parable to answer the lawyer's question and guide the application. I am to love my neighbor and my neighbor is the one who others might consider my enemy. My neighbor is the one with a need right in front of me. The need's right there. It's my next door neighbor. It's my cousin. It's my whoever it is. It's right in front of you and you can see it. Now, if you're trying to justify yourself like the lawyer, you'll come up with things like well, yeah, but you can't help everybody. The Samaritan didn't open a hospital. He just took care of the need that was right in front of him. He just took care of the need that was right in front of him. In compassion for you, in compassion for me to consider these things, what is the need that is right in front of us? The world would be changed, a changed place if every Christian attended to the sorrows that are plain before us. And one great preacher said, it's right there. We can see it. Are we going to be the Levite? Are we going to be the priest? Or are we going to be the Samaritan who comes and meets the need? Well, so what? So what? What must I do to inherit eternal life? That's where this um, story begins. That's where the question is is, uh, first placed. And the reality is our righteousness cannot save us. By the end of this story the lawyer fully gets it that Um, He might be trying to do these things, but he didn't even figure out who his neighbor was. And he certainly didn't think the Samaritan was his neighbor. and, And Jesus had to come down to him and go, that's what you go and do. You do that. You do that. For us, eternal life is found in the finished work of Jesus Christ, and we rejoice in that finished work. And we will never love God one hundred percent completely like we should on this side. Um, And we look forward to heaven because the only reason we we sit or stand here today with any confidence is because of what Jesus Christ has done. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. But who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? And how are you responding to the person that's on your heart even right now? Uh, Sue and I talked with uh, someone last night who came up and um, was talking about a family member who has mental health issues and she got mad at that person last week and wasn't talking to them and last week's message just crushed her. I know Jesus Christ. She doesn't. Didn't say it's going to be easy. But she went away with a different perspective of how I need to treat and how I need to operate and what I need to do. What difference will it make in your life? See, as a church, we're talking about living vertically, living vertically. The way you see need around you and the way you respond, how is it demonstrating your passion for the glory of God in your life? How is it demonstrating you're founded on the work of Jesus Christ? How is it demonstrating you're being obedient to all these things because of who God is? God help us all. God help me to be like the good Samaritan, seeing the need, meeting the need, and being used for the glory of God to share the gospel of Jesus Christ in a world where the answer is the answer that God has given us, Jesus Christ. The Lord, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your Word. We thank you for the challenge of it. We thank you for the stirring of it, Father. If we're resistant to this Word, then God help us to look at our own heart. Help us to set aside excuses that don't um, that don't honor you, that don't bring you glory. Help us to do what we need to do. Help us to be willing to make the little sacrifices that would be necessary, but to do it for the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Do this work, God, beginning in me, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.